Spook. Yes. We notice you're wearing a big freeze beanie. That's right. Is that in preparation of an upcoming game against Melbourne on Queen's birthday? No, it's more of a reflection of our ability to score. Welcome to the Collingwood Rant. I'm Sly. And I'm... It's only a debacle if you look at it from the water. Spook. Yes. Apparently we lost. Did we? We lost. On what Saturday. did we lose? Credibility? No, no, we don't have ability. To lose. We don't... Skills? Nope, nope, nope. Certainly lost our ability to score. So after or during the first quarter, you thought, "Oh, where's this been?" No, that was bizarre. Would. Yes, and then it just went back to shit. Yeah, that was normal. Now a lot of the issues of Collingwood have been very well discussed. Have they? The poor skills, poor execution, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the. Is this, a, is this like a checklist? Yeah, we could do it. You know, over and over. We've done it for. Tick. Tick, yep. tick, 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 tick. Did it last year to an extent, did it several years ago. We're ahead it, of the game, you know that? We are totally ahead of the game. I just want to mention a few things. You should mention a few things. And then we'll go on to the bigger picture of Collingwood. What do you mean with Braden Maynard on Buddy Franklin? It, it was funny, wasn't it? I, I didn't mind. I don't know if there's people who complain um, about it. But what, what did Buddy end up kicking? Two? Two. And um, who alternated with him? Moore had a couple of cracks at it. I think they just rotated depending on where... I mean, what's Buddy these days? He can barely bend over and pick up the ball, so why not try Maynard on him? I actually didn't mind Maynard, because if you're going to use more in that attacking counter-attack role, then they've got to manufacture the the, the, the opponents like Hawthorne will do with Josh Gibson and Essendon will do with Duncan Fletcher. They didn't go to the best. Duncan Fletcher? Dustin Fletcher. Oh, yeah, not the English coach. You're not talking about his lesser-known no. brother, Duncan. No. And, you know, they got... they The coaches always put them on a lesser forward and had them provide the chop out and the counter attack and all that sort of stuff. And the only time they ever moved to the better forward is the better forward got like a big hold of the game. Uh, so I actually looked at that and thought, okay, you know, that's some lateral thinking, which I haven't seen from Collingwood since, I don't know, 2011. Lack of second efforts as the game wore on. It just, they seemed dispirited as they, you know, the first quarter was full of energy and then they just seemed dispirited. Tackles are constantly broken. Um, it's funny, I'll preempt this though. Um, I don't think you will recall uh, at the end of the uh, first quarter, I messaged you straight away saying, uh, are they going to be able to sustain this or are they just going to do the usual uh, fade into nothingness? And you replied that you've had about 74 other people yeah. message you exactly yeah. the same thing. So this It's not the... like we're conditioned to expect this. No. What is with the skills? You can't tell me... Now, this happened 214 to 217, so that's 88 games or something is where that... we saw that. It's a repetitive circle. It's a circle of calling. We life. can't say that we're recruiting, drafting players with poor kicking skills. We did ask this to Nathan Buckley years ago, and he said kicking was a primary thing that they look for. Skills are appalling. What is it this club does which impacts the skills of players, not only this year, but four years ago, over that four-year span? Uh, I, look, I have no idea. I mean, the, the way that they were freely running the ball and scoring quite well in that first quarter, you're sort of looking at going, well, maybe this is a statement game. You know, they've, they've been under the pump. They they generally do play well against Sydney. They, they're going to go into state. They always come together and perform well. How do you just do it for a quarter and then just completely turn it off? What changes in their minds? It's not like Sydney came back full on attacking or anything like that straight away that sort of put some, some doubt into your head. It was just like, oh, we'll just stop. We've done enough. Can we prove the doubt is wrong? Okay, I have a fear about this. So Just one? Yeah, just the one. And it extrapolates into a bigger story about Collingwood. This lack of uh, the ability to score has been going for quite a while. People think, oh, it's new. You go back to the semi-final last year against Geelong. We kicked one goal for three quarters. If you go back to the round eight against um, West Coast, we kicked we, we kicked no goals from in the second quarter and the third quarter. Round five against Essendon, we kicked three goals in the first quarter. One point in the second, and then we'll three five in the in the first. We kick four points. Congress will kill the round three when we're apparently up and running. We kick ten four and a half, and only two five in the second half. And then Collingwood Richmond, we kicked four one in the first quarter, one goal two in the second quarter, then one point and two points. So only three points for the rest of the game. The I guess we half. had a point to prove. Yeah, preliminary final against uh, GWS. Oh, wasn't that a good one? We didn't kick a goal second and third quarter, and the qualifying final against Geelong, we didn't kick a goal in the second half. Now, I'm just, for the most part, other than the Sekilda game, I'm picking out games where we didn't score. There's plenty of games where the scoring just massively dropped off. In my opinion, what actually happens is, first quarter we come out, we surprise the opposition, we're doing a few things that they haven't anticipated, they then adjust, 
and then they start applying pressure to our ball winners and all that sort of stuff, and the team just folds. And they, the coaching staff doesn't have the structure to work out how to get these players free again, so it just becomes a total mess for the rest of the game. Now, the few times where we come alive again, like go back to the prelim against uh, GWS in 2019 with the last 15 minutes of the game, we just played this dominant game. It's when the players just go, that's it. Nothing to lose, just go for everything. And it actually gets some run happening. I just think that when the game is online and all the matchups are set and, you know, the both sets of coaches have worked out who they're playing where, our coaches always lose out, which means our players always lose out, which means our game plan implodes, which means our scoring dries up. So that's what I tend to think actually happens with us. Well, at least we've got one thing going uh, consistently well then. Um, and the other problem to this game I thought was really emblematic of it, but it's been happening, is you have Dacos in the middle, Sidey in the middle. Dacos made his name on the wing last year. And you find him now, after being played as a defensive forward for the first few games of the year, being thrown in the middle, and now he's under a lot more frantic pressure, pressure yeah. which means his disposal is being affected. Similar with side bottom. I, I, Would you say that the, that's an acceptable part of his learning curve in this role? No. Because he can clearly find the ball. No, see, what I would be doing if I was coach, hint, Jeff Brown. Um, there could be an opportunity coming up soon. Yep, at Carlton. <laughs> What I would be doing is I'd be playing side bottom and Dacos on the wings and be letting them dominate there where they're getting fed the ball more and they've got a bit more space to use the ball constructively. And in the middle, I'd be playing your pendle breeze. I don't see the point of playing pendle breeze as a forward unless you're nursing him. I don't see the point of playing him as a forward. He has dropped off, but he's still your best uh, midfielder. I'll be playing guys like Crisp or Maynard, Dugowie in the middle of bigger bodies who can win the ball in tight and they're just feeding it out to these guys on the ass. And this is the problem Buckley's always had. If you look at Trelaw, we complained about it for three years. Why do you have him in the middle when he should be on the outside yeah. providing run and dash? And that's the same thing with Dacos and Sidebottom, I believe. Dacos might graduate to a to a mid to a center midfielder, but at the moment I'll still be playing him on the wing where he can use his skills to actually construct offense. Now, I actually think this is really typical of the Buckley coaching regime where you constantly see players in really weird positions where you're not getting the best out of them. You go back to get Dacos defensive forward. Phillips is a defensive forward. You get Magden as a wingman. It's like, why? Because he's got a big body. That's the whole logic behind that. You still want someone with skill. You know, Magden, I think, went about 50% that game where he got, you know, 10 possessions in the first um, in the first quarter. So... I don't think they're placing the players in the right position to get the best out of them, and they're actually placing them in positions where it's actually hurting the team. Um, the team just... Oh, what evidence do you have to back this up? Oh, it was about Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> you have the softness. They just don't seem physically ferocious anymore. Uh, and the thing that really irks me is the dead handballs. The amount of times you see someone like you, you get like a congested, uh, an area of congestion, player gets the ball, a teammate standing like as far away as you are from me. And he handles it to him inside, and you get no gain out of it. Why have you done that? And there's plenty of times where I've seen the player who gets it, like going, "Why have you given it to me? I'm two feet away from you." I saw an example um, during the game to you that there was a passage there where um, Dacos weaved through a couple of um, Swans players. He had Maine off to his left, and he's dished the handball, and without even thinking. Mayne's just giving it back. And yep. you could see Dacos, he looked bewildered yep. uh, on, on the footage. just like, what the fuck? You just put me back under pressure. And he got swamped. And Mayne just went, oh, I'll just be over here now. Yeah. And, and it was like, yeah, what, 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 what was the point? And I understand at times they tried to play that game still. The Bulldogs did it. Geelong did it years ago. Bulldogs at their best still do it where they have those frantic handballs in congestion to fire it out and then to find some space. But Collingwood, unfortunately, do that. They put someone under pressure who's not anticipating it or they keep handballing and retreating to the point where like they are then defensively besieged and then someone just goes, oh, I'm going to boot the crap out of it anyway. Well, it's that never-ending diminishing circle uh, logic. Yeah, it's a triangle that they <clears throat> do. Um, and this is not new. And this is the thing that really is horrifying. It's like, this is being this went on four years ago. So this is what bemuses me when people go, let's, let's re-sign Buckley. Um, these are not new things that we're seeing and we're just seeing them again. And you watch it and you see there's no way that the current brain trust are going to find their way out of this. And people will blame personnel, go, oh, because we don't have personnel. But it's like, well, you're doing this last year when you had personnel and you're doing this three, four years ago when you had personnel. And I thought there was one really, (laughs) there's one typical play of Collingwood in the fourth quarter. Noble chased down Haywood on the wing. Jeff Haywood. Yep. 
his football shits him. Great tackle, wins the free, and then turns the kick at the crisp at centre half back and misses him by about five meters. And it wasn't a, it was like about a ten meter kick, and it immediately put everyone under pressure. Let me ask you this: What the hell is wrong with Brody Grundy? Um, who, who was it? He uh, was the opposition ruckman. Was he about yeah. um, ten years old? And he uh, probably. I'm sure Grundy won the hit-out numbers, but uh, I think he was the more effective uh, uh, ruckman on the ground. So, yeah, I have no idea. And look, does this come back to that that whole where is the mindset of this side at and that Grundy's just wearing that badge prouder than everyone else? I, I really... I mean, I know you're close to throwing him out with the garbage, but I just can't help but think if you get him working back in a structure and, and a supportive network that's going to start looking at and improving things, that he could be good, very good again. Oh, I have no doubt he could be good again, but just given where Collingwood are... But this is all up here. Their build and all that sort of stuff, I just look at it and go, well, who has the most currency? I'd figure he's probably... He's got no currency because he's got a $7 yeah, million dollar price tag. If, if you get some of the pick that up and... Well, who would? Colin was going to pay the, the bulk of that. But if <laughs> well, you got some... If you, if you <laughs> sort of, they'll go as high as eight, they said. If And we talked about this a couple of years ago where we saw sort of like, okay, there should be a squeeze coming along. If you had to lose one at a Grundy, more and the Goey, who would you lose? And we said, we said back then Grundy. And I still would say Grundy's probably the one. I don't... He doesn't look happy to me. Hmm. And that's a lot of players. I mean, our intel is that Maynard's got one foot outside the door, which might explain his poor form. Um, Buckley, he, he, can you ever hear enough of this? He said, we came here to win and we felt like we had the plan to do so. I think the first quarter probably showed that what we put in place was going to trouble Sydney. The fact that they really only scored 10 goals in the end, defensively we held up for the most part. We're disappointed for not being able to stick at it and not being able to put enough chains together to be able to score or get field position after quarter time. But the reality is we just had some players that dropped away, wasn't some bucks, and that's going to happen at times, especially with the young boys. We showed that we had the right plan and the right attitude and I thought our work rate was consistent throughout the game. We just dropped away with the skill execution. Where's the part about kicking 110 in three quarters of football? But you can make comment that you're happy you kept the opposition to to, to 10 goals. Like I, that's an achievement. So, I'll get back to it in a second. Of the, we've had six debutants this year. I think a couple of them, like Paul to look good. pretty comfortable. Mm-hmm. I think a few of them, when they've had their chance, have looked really like they're not up to AFL level at this point. Um, I thought Tom Wilson had a probably a really... Difficult debut that he was buried with a few <laughs> porters, you know, <laughs> kicks to him. Yeah, you, like, take this. But having said that, if you look at other guys like Sidebottom and and um, Grundy, you know, Maynard, they're looking terrible also. And that system is a reason that everyone suffered such gross depreciation and they look horrible. You go back to 2011, I recall when we smashed North by about 20 goals, Luke Rounds looked like a match winner. And I remember Danny Froyle was commentating, going, oh, it looks like the Pies have found another one. And it just shows when you have system, when you have support, that players get appreciated or they find a way to work, play their role. Everyone at Collingwood looks like they have no idea what no. they're doing. I mean, three quarters of that game was just hideous to watch. Oh, it was... And you really... You, normally, I guess, when you're in this phase and you've got kids coming through and, you know, we've highlighted that we like Paul Dry, I like... McCreary, I like his attack, and, and you know, they're, they're, they're the ones you look at and you think, oh, okay, well, there's something to build on here. But the rest of it just looks like there's no hope. You, as a supporter, you want to see where the light at the end of the tunnel is going to start coming from. At the moment, it's just dismal pitch blackness. Well, the other problem, too, is I wonder... I'm sure there's some players... You know, I'll take Chris Judd as an example, who they're going to have a straight-line improvement because they were just so supremely talented regardless. But I always think there's players are like they're at a sliding doors moment of you're in the wrong system or you're in a terrible team. Maybe development goes sideways rather than forward. And that's hurt by the fact that you're in a really shit system. Now, Collingwood's got relying so much on youth that I look at it and go, geez, you could really damage all these kids for the future when they're meant to be your future. And you're not getting as much support from the upper end, because they're struggling also. And people complain about guys like Josh Thomas and, um, 
you know, Hoskin Elliott and these guys continuing to get games and Callum Brown, but it's like, who else are you going to play? There's nothing that's, left. That's the conundrum. And you, at the moment, you're sort of... Who's, playing... in, the, who's in the wings? You've got uh, Greenwood and uh, Greenwood, and I think his uh, other mate, Greenwood. Well, that's all it is. And, and, and Cox, if you wanted to go there. Yep. And, you know, they'll probably have to go back to Cox at some point because just what they're doing, they got... They've now sort of got this... Well, they've always had this sort of inexperienced underbelly, but it's even bigger now. It's, it's fully ri- exposed. Yeah. And you can see it's just sort of falling away. And I look at it and think... Sorry, I might get a little bit angry. I look at it and think about the arguments I had with supporters in the off-season who told me, it'll be fine, it'll be finalists. We've got guys like Braden Sy and Nathan Murphy coming up. Um, they'll replace guys like Trelaw and Phillips and all that. And they assured me, they totally assured me that we're better off without these players. That these guys couldn't kick, so we're much better off. And now the bottom has fucking dropped out. And no one there in La La Land can claim to, yeah, we're still going to make finals. Even the little P president can't be thinking we're still going to make finals. He's gone quiet, hasn't he? Little P. To make finals, you have to actually have a game plan. And we don't have one. And you look at the legacy left by the administration to have put us in this position. And you think, how can anyone there in Collingwoodland think the club is in charge of their destiny at the moment. Because to me, they just seem at the whim of fucking poor decisions and the repercussions from those. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it really, when you look at it, it's 22 individuals out there. There's nothing that's that's functioning as a team. No, but it's the whole thing of, how do you rebuild from this point? Uh, I think you gut everything from the uh, from the from the ground up. Is that the word? Um, then there's a thermonuclear device. Um, I think we go away for 420 years and forget it ever existed, and then suddenly we have a resurgent moment. But you don't have the currency at the moment, so you probably have to go to deficit. Or we could do it this way. You, you probably have to go in the deficit, you will have to go in the deficit to get Nick Dacos. That's depriving you of the one thing you need to rebuild, which is picks. Oh, that's it. And look, even, we were talking about this before, um, you don't even have the money in the cap to uh, go out and purchase well, uh, free agents. We've heard they're really tight, and we'll lose well, someone else. Yeah, if the, if the Maynard squeeze is um, not necessarily about money either. Um then who knows what? Uh, who else are you going to lose to get some money down? Oh, and or then, back, rather. And then it becomes this self-perpetuating uh, vicious circle where it's like, okay, now you have less experienced players, which means you have to expose more youth, which means you're going to lose more, which means it's going to impact the development mm-hmm. more. And for you've, you've traded into the future draft for the next 12 years and you're not actually getting picks to capitalize. No. It's like we're going to finish bottom four this year in all likelihood. And we're not going to be able to benefit from like a bottom four pick. No, no. And, and, and that aside too, where's the enticement for a player to come to us now? It oh. can't be money because we're clearly fucking showing the world that we don't have any and we're still bleeding in, um, in that respect. There's no, there's no success coming in the next couple of years that's going to be immediate. Well, you look at a few of the free agents. So Marcus Bontempelli, why would he leave a finalist to come to us? Um... Patrick Cripps at Carlton. Okay, Why would he leave? I mean, Carlton's been on the outs for 100 years, but Collingwood's miles behind them. So, Zach Merritt, Essendon's... You know, Essendon traded out uh, Danaher, Fantasia, and Saad last year, and they got three top 10 picks. Or they had one top 10 pick, and they added two more, whatever it was. And they got three top 10 pick players into their side. And they've did what we should have done, which we thought we were going to do, is get some high-currency draft picks to bring some real high-quality kids. No disrespect to the guys we got. But, you know, there's obviously top 10 picks and then there's the rest. So, why would Zach Merritt come to Collingwood? What, what would he be seeing? There's no earthly reason. You know, Kristen Petraka, he's signed for 14 years now, but why would he have come to a Collingwood and Melbourne finally got their shit? So, Melbourne's sitting there, like, eight and zip, and Petraka's going, yeah, Collingwood's sitting 2-7. I'll, I'll go there next year. <laughs> this is the place. Why would anyone choose this? And free agents is proven... The, the best players, I know there's the guys we get, like the Quinton Lynches and the Jordan Russells and all that, but free agency, the best players, the Tom Lynches and all that sort of players, they are going to the best teams. No, you've got no help of attracting any of them. All you're going to get um, in free agency are those fringe players who are struggling to get games at a club. You'll probably see getting games at Collingwood as a absolute guarantee is the only enticement that we have. Yep. Well... So the whole rebuild, the way they're moving into the future, they're vastly compromised for several years. And I think after they pick up Nick Dacos, providing he does want to come to the club, but after they pick up Nick Dacos, I think they just have to say, 
we're not touching a, we're not trading a single future pick or anything like that. We're just going to take our medicine, be terrible, and then rebuild like everyone does. But then looking at that, you know, if the next two years, if this year and next year are definitely going to be low finishes, which is what they look like they're going to be. Yep. You're going into 2023 with Adams and Grunty and all like in the high 20s in terms of their age. So how long do they last before you're... Your youth comes up and springs you up the ladder, and as Carlton's proven, you know you can get a lot of talent in there. It doesn't necessarily always click. I mean, you might not have the right coach. Melbourne did it for years, so no. it's like where do you go from here? And that, and that's where it shows how vitally important this is to get the um, the administration right now and getting that next coach selection right now because that's going to be your only fucking draw card to get some of those guys to, to pack up in a year or two's time and come to us. You have to clearly demonstrate you got your shit together off field to make your shit come together on the field. Well, if you look at the so, what? Do you, let me ask you. If now, seeing, I guess the repercussions of our terrible trade period and our terrible list management over the last five years. Now, now that it's terrible, terrible is a pretty light word. Yeah, apocalyptic. Now that you're seeing, fuck. Now that you're seeing it all come to roost. I mean, how do you feel about like you get Eddie McGuire there who stayed for twenty three years? It feels like when he was governing, it was almost like he'd become the the, the one voice of the club. A, a, and everyone, a dictatorship? Yeah, I was just trying to be diplomatic. And it's fucking dictatorship. And you have Buckley, who's 10 years into his coaching regime, and people are still saying, oh, give him another chance, give him another year. I can't, still can't fathom that. I mean, really... I mean, my um, I've been calling for a couple of years that it, it just smelled stale, and you need to have change. You can't stay in a in an organisation for twenty three years and expect to be fresh. Or next year is going to be different. And then the issue is sort of twofold here: is, is that Eddie stayed around too long, and Eddie put all his cards into the um, um, succession plan basket yep. and made sure that it fucking dragged out for years until hopefully it suddenly fixed itself one day. And all it's done is pushed the malaise and the and the fucking broken nature of Collingwood in, into uh, uncharted territory. I think this could almost be close to... And you want to make these things too negative and too dramatic, but this could almost be the lowest fucking Collingwood's dropped in, in how long? We're talking decades. So what, in terms of finishing 16th, 17th? No, no, in terms of... Or just know, in the, terms the, of where the club stands? Just everything is... Um, I mean, they've just had this connected series of, of, of fuck-ups um, in, in the public place. It's still looking like a fucking rudderless ship heading for the nearest iceberg, and if that one don't work, there's three other big ones there or something we can run into. It just looks broken. And I, I, I'll say the one thing, in terms of the actual list management, you go to 2003, they lost the grand final. So the second grand final last, Malthouse went to the club and said, we're not going to win with this list. And they said, okay, let's rebuild. And if you look about the next three years, they had picks seven, picks two, pick five, pick eight, pick 10 with a trade when they traded Tarrant. And the following year, pick 11, which they got side-bottom. So they had a pretty good hand in, over those three years. But the club also, too. I mean, apart from the from the, that list element, the club was humming beautifully. Yeah, but, but I'm just trying to say that, like, they had a really good draft hand to rebuild. They had a really good nucleus. They had guys like uh, Dane Swan, Travis Cloak, um, Nick Maxwell, Harry or Harisha, Lumumba, Alan Tuvey. They had these guys already there. And then all those picks they nailed. Every, except for Chris Egan, sorry. All those other picks they nailed, they became a nucleus of that side. And then they picked up guys like Dawes and all that sort of stuff. You don't have that draft hand now. And you're not going to get it for like two years. You get back to 1999. I always say like, you know, people go, Maltas did a great job of bringing the Wooden Spoon team to a grand final in three years. But if you look at that 99 list, you had Nathan Buckley, best player in the league, Scott Burns, Paul LeCuria, pick one, pick three, pick one in the PSD. You had the two Rockers, Paul Williams, um, Simon Prestigia come. You again had a really good nucleus, and then two thousand and one they traded really well, and then you go back to eighty six, which is their lowest ebb financially when the bank suggested that they close their doors. Yeah, the banks were onto something, <laughs> but they, again they had a really good sort of nucleus, and then they had the nineteen eighty seven um, under nineteen team when the flag, and that became the core of their side going forward. So it always periods where they've been really low, and you get back to seventy six, it was just really not great coaching and the club wasn't very stable, which is why they won the wooden spoon. Tom Aitken came next year and it was effectively the same list, but he brought them to the grand final. I don't see that here. I don't think they have... They don't have the draft hand in the short term and their trading into the future has totally compromised that. They don't have a great nucleus, I believe. I think 
their players are a little bit too top aged. Where as you go to two thousand and four, two thousand and five, you know, Cloak and Swan they're in their early twenties. Heath Shaw early twenties. Um, now you know you got Dacos and Kaina. They're probably the the greatest or brightest hopes in terms of skill levels. But then you look at like guys like Adams and all they're, they're 27, 28. So mm. in a couple of years they're going to be gone, and that's a big section of that side. I have no confidence that Moore or Dago will stay once their contracts come up. If we're looking terrible and they're offered a million dollars elsewhere, why wouldn't they jump? And in terms of the administration behind it, it's just well, there's this thing now where like who knows who's going to be in charge next year. You know, you have this uh, Mark Quarter presidency at the moment, then you have Jeff Brown saying he'll challenge, and then there's rumours of a third party also running. So it's like... Is that us? Yeah, it should be us. But it's like, it's really unstable period in every area, and you don't know how much money they've lost through sponsorship, through no. um, repercussions of the Do Better report, through the trade, the bark, because I know members, some members just said, that's it, I'm not going to follow this club if you're treating players like this. They've messed up on pretty much every level of club management, team management, and you still have fucking people telling me, hey, it's all right, you're being negative. It's like, hey, you're third last. If you can't see that all these actions have led to this, just you know, two years after you made a grand final, how is that not evidence that you've fucked up things? No, and, and, and I don't think they've even finished with this yet. Yeah, There's this rumour that's come out today that um, Conglet's pursuing uh, Lepic to be a... Um, an assistant coach to um, to buckle with an extension. I mean, fuck, why? What, because year 11 and 12 will be fucking magnificent? I mean, the thing is, too, I mean, the rumour of Miller is, is telling us that um, Sanderson and, and Harvey have been told oh. that um, uh, there won't be a job there next year. Oh, fuck that. Jeez, I must, that must come as a surprise. I mean, actually, though, when you look at it realistically, can we actually afford to pay out Harvey's long service leave? He's probably into us for about 24 years' worth of salary on the way out. It, it's just like... That's no fucking way you're going to placate the supporter base to leave Buckley in for another year or two and just bring in some... I mean, granted, probably Lepage is a good selection coming in, but no what's idea. he going to fucking help? Well, Is he, he going to come in and say, well, Bucks, you got it wrong for 10 years. Um, how about we do things this way? Well, if that's the case, why don't we fucking swatch roles? Swatch roles. Good old swatch roles. roles. You fucking swatch roles. Um, but what's the point of it, though? But you go back to 218 and Justin Longmuir came in and he did exactly that. He rejuvenated the the structure. I mean, Brayden Maynard has that article which I read from a few but, weeks but ago. Again, but even if he does this and, and it works out to be successful, it's just showing that, that the Buckley decision's wrong. Well, that's, well, this is the big problem with me. If you look at all the premiership coaches and a lot of the leading coaches over the last you know 20 forever really, Every premiership coach brings something new to the game. So you look at Hardwick, Richmond's won three flags. They play that chaos football. It's really, you know, dynamic, anarchic. Um, and, you know, it's beautiful to watch too. You look at um, Alistair Clarkson, he had the rolling zones, which he introduced. You know, you look at Bomber Thompson, he had the, the handball and, and also Luke Beveridge. They sort of had these fast handball, zipping game plans. What's Buckley brought to the AFL? It seems like everything he's done in terms of on-field strategies, he's just cannibalized from Geelong and from Hawthorne during their heydays. It's not like he came in, you know, I, I know he was credited with bringing in the press in 210, even though it was there in 29 before he arrived. Maybe he's talking about journalists. But you look at like Malthouse, the one year he had success at Collingwood is when he developed this new game plan. And it was like the press. And, you know, I know, I know... If, in 209, and he said it himself, Malthouse, he goes, you know, we had to find a way to beat Geelong, so we had to find something to devise. And I heard 209 prelim, he really thought we were a chance against Geelong, and they smashed us by 14 goals, and he was really shattered after that, and he realised, I really need to change. Buckley's never shown any of that. He's continued to push this game plan that we're seeing now. If you're honest to people watching, you can't tell me you didn't see if he's 2004. 14, 15, 16, 7. It's exactly what was happening back then. It was even exactly what was happening in 212, 213. He said, then we had a much better list who at least, through talent, carried us over some results. This is exactly what we're seeing. It's galling that you think this is still going to click at some point. It's still just fucking effort. Oh, it's it's just effort. If we get the effort right and all that sort of shit. The reason they're not getting the effort right, and this is my opinion, you know, the club can say, no, you're totally wrong. To me, they so often look really tight and flat. And I believe that's why suddenly skill errors creep into really skilled players' games. I mean, Isaac Quainer looked terrible on um, Saturday. He's a really skilled player. You know, Dacos didn't look good. I mean, Pendlebury went at about 55% in terms of disposal efficiency. While this player suddenly dropped off, there's a lot of factors. But I think in terms of how they're being prepared for the game, 
they are really struggling because of the way Collingwood is presenting them. It has to be that there has to be wholesale changes in a number of areas coming. At the moment, they're in a holding pattern, circling their own shit. And there's just... I think they're swimming in their own I mean, shit. And, and you look at this subjectively each week. I mean, where do you see them digging themselves out at the moment? If things stayed the same, we're fucked. Yeah. There has to be change coming, and that brings uncertainty. And look, uncertainty can be a uh, motivational thing if you start seeing some positive directions into where you take your uncertainty and try and turn that into something positive. At the moment, we've just got fucking nothing. They've really got to come out and make some sort of announcement about the coaching panel soon. Now, I don't mind if, um, if Buckley sees out the rest of the year, but there needs to be something made soon. If they're bleeding surely off the fucking um, the fact that no one's going to the footy anymore. Where are you going to track sponsors with this sort of crap? And you're going to put your faith into someone who's been there for 10 years, for another two years? Again, it's that whole belief that it's suddenly going to come good. And how many fucking years of seeing it not come good do you have to keep failing at it? Well, as you said often, 218 was really a false thorn for him. Oh, and it's, it it's, was. It's painted over a lot of cracks. And you even hear the media sort of go, well, he was a great coach in 218. Um... What's changed in two years? It's obviously blah, blah, blah. And again, like it's not personnel because the pers- he had the personnel 219, 220 and we're seeing this shit happen back then. So you can't just put it down to personnel. Obviously, you're going to struggle more with a young side, but we were doing this with qualified sides. So you get Matt Rendell coming out and attributing the 218 success to Justin Longmuir and the way he helped Collingwood set up. If... You look at it and sort of go, well, let's bring in some more assistance that are going to help Buckley. It's like, well, maybe instead of getting some assi- a, a really qualified assistant, assistant to come in and help Buckley, the better thing is to just get rid of Buckley and get the assistant with all the ideas and put him in charge. But even that, that notion in itself is, he's been there for 10 years. He shouldn't need at this stage in his career assistance to help him become a better coach. No, I, look, I don't mind bringing the assistance. T, you can understand, as a, as a fledgling um, coach, I, needs some support around him. But we're now trying to paint the same scenario for a bloke who's been doing it for 10 years. I don't mind some of it, because I always look at it from the point of view, and I've always said this, if I was running a club, as I should, Jeff Brown, um, <laughs> in terms of my assistants, half of them would be guys who have been in the system forever or former coaches who have no... Uh, aspiration to be senior coaches. They're just happy to be assistants forever. And the other half would be young, aspiring guys straight out of the system, at, like out of players, and who want to be coaches and they're fresh and come up with new ideas. And the thing with any long reign is you are going to get start time. So I don't mind bringing people in to challenge you and go, look, this is the way you've been playing the game. I've just, I've actually played it. This is my experience. These are the things I think you can look at changing to galvanize your game. So I don't mind that. See, but that goes back to the problem. You've had, you've had um, Harvey there the whole Buckley tenure, and you've had Sanderson there from about 215, 216. So it's like, you're not having any injection of new ideas there. No one's coming to Buckley and saying, hey, let's try this. You know, to me, it really feels like they've put, or he has a coaching panel where they're just yes-men. And if you've never changed anything, why is anything going to change? Mm. You look at Melbourne, they brought in Mark Williams, Hey, suddenly they're you know on top of the ladder undefeated. You look at Sydney, who's had a guy who's been coached longer than Buckley, who's been coach of Collingwood. They brought in Don Pike because they said, "Well, look, we've got the defensive down, right? We're not so great at the attacking stuff. What have you got for us?" And Sydney's ball movement looks a lot better. But us, things are clearly in decline the last three years, and it's like, well, let's just stick with the guys we know because they've never fixed it, but apparently they will now. It's like you know, last year they moved on Hocking. Now, Hocking was supposed to be a breath of fresh air for the midfielders, and then he's just quietly moved along. And they kept Sanderson and Harvey as preferred um, um, coaches there. But we haven't heard any reason beyond the fact that he just suddenly left before COVID. That was the COVID cuts, the financial cuts. But still, if you're performing well in that role, surely you need to let people know the reason why they've been let go. Oh, look, if I was Eddie McGuire, because he was president at the time, and this is the one thing that frustrates me, is... I would map out the structure for the way I want the club or the team operated. And one of the things would be, you know what? I don't want... I'm happy for the senior coach to coach for 25 years, but you cannot have the same people around him the whole time. We need evolution. We need change. We need fresh ideas. So when I see a Luke Hodge come out of his playing career, I'd say, look, go target him. 
He was a great on-field general. He's going to have something to bring to this. Bring him in. I want a constant change every couple of years. I want someone new coming in who is really, you know, breath of fresh air and he's challenging you. I don't care if you have arguments with, with him. You know what? I actually prefer that because it shows me that there's a conflict of ideas which is going to stimulate greater ideas rather than just someone, you know, Buckley going, well, how about we kick it 28 times across the ground? And Sanderson and Harvey going, well, that's a good idea, Bucks. That's worked for us for the last 10 years. Let's keep doing it. Yeah, have someone who's going to challenge the thought process. And that's the way I structure a club in terms of the coaches and that. I wouldn't want the same panel and the same administration, which is now a problem with Mark Corder and it's the perpetuation of the Maguire administration. I wouldn't want the same people in charge fucking ever. And if there is going to be some people who provide that continuity, you know, again, Malthouse is a 12-year coach. You look at Kevin Sheedy, he was coached for 25 years or whatever it was. I'd be getting people in to go, hey, every couple of years, I'm going to change the people around you. Unless you're winning flags like Hawthorne won three in a row, then I'd be going, that's the only reason I'm ever going to keep this this group together. But even with that, you know, coupled with the the fact that you can give them extended tenures, there has to be fucking periods of success. Yeah, well, that's what I just said, you know. And that's not just fucking dishing soup out to people. It's actually winning a fucking flag. You can you can stay for years if you win flags. Well, that's what I just said. I mean, it's like Hawthorne. If you win three in a row, then fine. <coughs> COVID. Yeah. You keep the people cause in charge because they know what they're doing. But at Collingwood, you've had one grand final shot in the 10 years you've been there. That, to me, really shows, hey you're not good enough. This coaching staff's not good enough. It's not... Prov- and I, I would seriously be... I, I don't know how they review the coach. I don't know yeah. if they just sort of sit him down and go, well, do you... But even on anything the, he's doing? Well, no, sorry, just to go a, a step backwards for a second. I read today that... Um, oh, you play for Collingwood. Yeah, you know, since the grand final, our average um, scoring uh, margin... Has dropped. Is, ...is about 55 points that we managed to score in those finals since. It's a poor fucking return. Yeah. Well, you go back to 2018 where you had that mid-size four line and it was just so chaotic that opposition had to match up on it because they didn't know who was going to pop up. And then you get what they've got now and it's like, well, you're moving the ball a lot more slowly. You don't have a focal point that I can see. And the thing is, which I'll say in defense of Mason Cox, people were criticizing Mason Cox for, you know, years. Oh, you're not doing enough. Okay, we're seeing Dugowie get shut out of the games. We're seeing Darcy Moore get shut out of the games. These are two supremely talented players. Now, do we say they're just shit also? Or do we actually draw the wider conclusion that, hey... The delivery is terrible, and it's shutting these players out, and they can't right. do anything. And you go back before the you know Mason Cox, Travis Cloak suffered the same. Under mm. the Malthouse, he looked like his great centre half forward. Under Buckley, he looked like this plodding full forward who yeah. was constantly struggling against free forward and opposition. You, you look at the destruction of Henry. I mean, if if, if, if players like Cox and and, and um, when um, Moore was thrown up, Ford can't get their fucking hands on the pill because of the poor delivery. Crucifying this poor kid. Now he's looked good in his little forays in in um, in VFL, where he's obviously um you know the, obviously the, the the matching is a little bit closer to his level at the moment. But he's getting destroyed in the two games that he's thrown out there. Yeah. That can't be fucking good for his confidence. And the other thing I want to say too, in relation to like all the people go, hey, you got to play more down back. Well, okay, down back. What the fuck did he do? He hasn't changed the game. Well, he I- kept a, a margin to ten goals. Yeah, well, it's like the scoring, you're showing the whole system not working. And if you're expecting individual players to solve it, it's not going to happen. But again, it's like I said before. And it goes it, back to the system. You just keep highlighting individuals. Yeah. There is no team functioning there at the moment. And each week it gets less and less. We're only probably one or two games away from that big fucking blowout. I, I think it'll come this week. I think the blowout will be... And we need the blowout, I reckon. This whole thing of like, you know, I mean, and this this really shits me too. It's this whole thing like in defensive buckle, it's like, whoa, they haven't lost any games by a big margin, but they're still fucking losing, so who cares? If you can't win, who cares? That's so it. if you just want, if you just lost every game by uh, by six points, you'd be going, oh, that's okay, because he's only losing by six points. It's fucking, it's sport, it's competitive, you're meant to win. That should always be the aim, to win. And this, oh, we're not losing by big amount. I really couldn't give a shit. Mm-hmm. What has happened now is a travesty um, in terms of, and I don't blame Buckley exclusively. This is a travesty of so many people's making, oh, going from the coaching to the, the co- other coaches to the football department to the administration to the former president who oversaw this over a long period. And somehow just believe we'll get it to work. And the one thing too, which really pisses me off about the supporters who kept assuring me, hey, we'll make finals this year, we're great. They're suddenly changing the narrative. Oh, it's about playing the kids. You know, it's playing the kids. 
It's like, but you told me we're going to play finals. Oh, no, no, it's a rebuild. It's like, hang on, the club didn't say they're rebuilding. They just said they're rejuvenating their list. As of a couple of weeks ago, they were still expecting to play finals, according to the president. So this is what they've done constantly under during the Buckley era. It's like, I say, he was handed a Poison premiership Bell. list. Oh, and it, sorry. And it was like, oh, well, they're going to play finals. And I recall Gary Pert saying, oh, I believe Buckley will be a premiership coach within three years or whatever. Didn't work out. Then they're four years out. Are they rebuilding? Are they just topping up? We don't know. They don't actually send a clear message. Then they pick up like Wells and Maine. It's like, well, that's what you do if you want to top up. So you think we're close. And then you get to the grand final. It's like, well, we get beams are topping up. Um, and then it's like, well, let's cut the list by six players, count the retirees and the guys that went out. So hang on, that's like an act of rebuilding, but you're still claiming you just rejuvenating the list. I don't know where this club stands or where it stood under the, in the last 10 years. It's constantly a different message they're sending out to their public. I don't think they actually know. I think they're constantly reacting to what they see within their own football department and they're trying to adapt to it and get on top of it. And they never have, they've never had a clear system, never had a clear plan. They've never actually did what Malthouse did as far as I'm aware in 204 where he went to the admin and said, this list isn't going to do it, we need to rebuild. They might have done that theoretically and said, let's rejuvenate the list. But... I seriously, and this really pisses me off, so we're not doing X-Player Watch anymore. I think I've read the stats out enough this year to prove, you know what, these three, three guys would be fucking pretty useful in this side, and you would be, instead of 2-7, you'd probably be 4-3, you know, at the very least. You would have won games against S. You probably would have won against Sydney, you would have been in Gold Coast. So I'm not going to do it anymore, because seriously, if you're out there thinking, no, we don't need those players, and you're seeing us as 16th, you're a fuckwit. <laughs> and that's all it comes down to. How no one in the football department looked at the list and said, okay, you have 18 experienced players. If you get any injuries to those 18, we immediately have to go into the youth and we're going to be totally exposed. How no one could do that equation is bewildering. Because it's really clear when you look at that list, and particularly when you look at that list and you factor in the fact that Greenwood's sort of getting toward the end of his career, Maine's getting toward the end of his career, Josh Thomas has struggled for a couple of years. Hoskin Elliott struggled for a couple of years. Callum Brown has really struggled to find his place at AFL level. So you've got already like five, six players there in your starting 22 who are struggling. And then you have to factor in if you get injuries, which it's Collingwood, you're going to get injuries. So you then have like about an equation of about 10 to 12 players who you need to replace with youth, and which is what they've done. You know, they've brought in Keane and... You know, Henry and they've rotated all these guys and you have this really soft underbelly now and it's like how no one looked at and said we could be in a lot of trouble if we have three or four injuries. Unless someone said it and then someone else in the admin <laughs> like we get injuries. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Deluded wood. Um, going into this game against Port Adelaide. Yeah, what about it? Do you it? care? No. You only get to see him get smashed? Look, the blowout has to happen. Oh, look, I think Whether it's smashed. this week or next week, it's going to come and um, it's going to have to be the catalyst for change. I actually think it's funny because the whole jumper debate is going to give them motivation to squash us. <laughs> and yeah. then they performed uh, average this week. They lose, did they? They lost to the Bulldogs. Yeah. They were okay. They sort of had a poor start and then they fought their way back into it. Um, and so the Bulldogs just got on top uh, in, the, in the last quarter. But that was still pretty good. I mean, they're looking like flat track bullies. But hey, you, you're facing a fucking spud this week. So you could hit them for six. Uh, I tip Port Adelaide 67 points um, so what did I tip um, Hawthorne to beat North by 80 yeah. points yeah I reckon uh, Port will win by 80 points oh, good one any final thoughts on Collingwood Eddie Maguire Nathan Buckley or the future going forward no I, I just want to have a shout out to the social media guy and I appreciate you've probably got the world's shittest job at the moment um, but there is a clear fucking misreading of the room going on out there I mean, uh, case in point, uh, Hoskin Elliott was named um, Player of the Round William this Hoskin week. Elliott. William Hoskin Elliott. Um, so the first comment is we, we've got to harken back to 2018 form. Well, great, because I constantly need to be reminded of the wonder years. And the second thing is, I don't think this bloke got more than four possessions in a half a footy after that. And that's no. your fucking Player of the Round? You don't have to speak. Saying nothing sometimes is the best course of action. Because all you're doing right now and you've obviously got fucking rules you have to follow with this job, is you're riling the room, and the room doesn't need riling any further. That'll come when Buckles is announced as uh, a coach for another two years. I have one final thought. Only one? Yeah, I do. Um, so, how old is your son, Ethan? Uh, he turns nine soon. And, and how does he feel about following Collingwood? 
he's, he's almost ready to walk away. Um, he's made a couple of statements. Uh, he cracked it during the game um, on the weekend and um, said, I'm done. I mean, like at that age, I'd probably been through about 14 losing grand finals and I, I sort of stuck with them. And the hard thing is, is you, you actually, with all seriousness, you sit down and you, you talk about, this is the situation, this is where you want them to be. Because where, when, when they get to where they are, they are one of the great clubs to follow. And that's not just talking about um, getting behind them when the times are good. That camaraderie, that you know, the, the the way that you bump into someone in the street and you know you talk, and when you find out they're one of you and they follow Collingwood, you know the way you can light up and you talk. At the moment, all that's been taken away from us. There's just this mire of shit, and we've all had enough of the shit, and we want to move on from the shit, and the club is just pulling us back into it. Oh, look, my biggest problem here is this cataclysm of failure is entirely the club's own design. And people, oh, yeah. you know, the, the idiots, the zealous who will sell it as, oh, well, we're proactively trying to rebuild and shit like that. And it's like... I'll just get out there and support them. Yeah, yeah. And I really hate that because, I mean, the, the one mistake in a lot of arguments I have with people about the trade-outs play, it's like, look, I don't give a shit. Trade anyone. Trade who the fuck you want. Mm-hmm. But don't treat them the way you treated those players, particularly true law. Don't give them up for nothing. I mean, this is the big problem with Stevenson. He gave him for, what, pick 26 or whatever... Two players, uh, Stevenson and Atu for pick 26. If you gave him up for pick 10, I'd be sitting there going, okay, I don't like it, but you know, at least you got something for it. You gave, you basically delisted him. You effectively delisted him. You treated the uh, Trelaw deplorably. And I look at stuff like that. Players within the ranks, and then Buckley's going, oh, no, the senior, senior, the senior playing group didn't want Trelaw and um, all this shit that he's spouting to the media. And... You have the senior playing group must be sitting there going, what, if they treated these guys like that, how would you treat, how are you going to treat me when my contract comes up? Or if my contract, and how's the guy like, you know, if Patrick Cripps is out there going, oh, I'm looking at changing clubs next year, and his manager goes, well, Collingwood's interested, and Cripps goes, well, so I can trade me in two years when it becomes inconvenient. Fuck that. Hey, you'll be paid well, though. By two clubs. You've damaged. The playing group. You've damaged the camaraderie not, of the not, site. Not you, me. you specific. No, the, the, the football department, Collingwood. Oh, the I, whole kit and caboodle. You, so it's like, I think, you know, when you shit, whatever, it's fine. You, there's ebbs and flows in football. But everything we're seeing now is a design of the club's making and their, I don't know what you'd call it, their short sightedness and their deplorable list manage, management over five years. Because the thing with this list management. What we saw last year didn't just happen. Someone didn't just open the spreadsheet and go, Eddie, we're a couple of million dollars over the limit. We need to cut some. This would have had to be five, six, seven years Does in the making. Does anyone know what a minus sign means? This would have had to be five, six, seven years in the making. And how this is happening, and then you're going, well, let's go get Dane Beams. Let's re-sign Brody Grundy to seven years. Making these decisions when you know the cap is inflated and you have this back-ending issue... It's just totally short-sighted and it borders on fucking negligent. But you also take a step backwards. So a lot of these problems came from apparently making the grand final activated a number of triggers, clauses in, in contracts. What the fuck would have happened if we won the, final, the grand final? Surely they would have been greater clauses triggered in. We would have imploded within 12 months at this rate. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know, you know, and we know pretty much for a fact that Ben Reid was one of the top played players in what I think is the second last year of his career at Collingwood. This is after he's played like nine games in three years. So I don't know how they did this back ending and all this shit that they fucked it up to that extent. I don't understand why they signed people like Phillips to 500 grand. Stevenson in his third year, they re-signed him to 600 grand. Given, again, you knew what your summer cap was like. Why were you making these decisions which have totally exacerbated the problems of the club? And then you, you know, and, and they don't get enough of a mention, but you know, you lost... Beams to retirement, you lost Langdon retirement, you delisted Charenberg, you lost Varco and Reed to retirement. That's five senior players of top hand. I'm probably, I'm sure I've probably forgotten someone else. You know, then you have someone like Brumet and all that. Oh, it was a big chunk a, of money that you should have got back. It's a huge chunk. Still ch- had a fuck. And, and from what we hear, it's still full and someone's going to be sacrificed at the end of this year. And it'll be this thing, if they lose someone this year, if they push someone out, the, the supporter unrest right here, it's just going to go thermonuclear because it's going to be like, you sold a message, or you sold five different messages last year after the trade debacle, but you sold a message, we decided to face the pain up front. 
if we have to face more pain. And of those five I just mentioned, should add James Ace, who went a year earlier. So six senior players. If we have to lose someone else, then you're just full, you've proven you're full of shit. And I, as a free agent, would not want to come to this club given the list profile now. I'd just be looking to go, no. The only way I'd want to go to this club is if I was at some club where I was playing in the reserves every week because there's four people in front of me for my position and it's just like, well, you know, like the guys who left Richmond, like Oleg Markov and all that, they were struggling to get games at Richmond, yep. they went. Oh, that can be the only one. But they're not free They're not free agents. They're just going for the greater opportunity. I think Brandon Nelson for free agency, but he's not going to change the fortunes of the club in, terms, in calling this position. So what we're seeing now, it's just short-sightedness, which has totally totally fucking asphyxiated us and it's going to make us struggle moving into the future in the short term. And I think it's still going to get uglier before it gets better. No, I mean, this is really... Collingwood is now is like the Star Wars sequels. There's no redemption on earth that can save this. It's got to be rebuilt. Oh, but it's, it can't be rebuilt by the people involved at the club. No, 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 no. Outside no. of Graham Ryan who just no. showed up last year. There is a giant bulldozer that just needs to plough through it. And it just has to have a plan sitting there on the outside. And I'm sure there's going to be um, some tickets put together in an EGM in the near future that has to have that as their cornerstone. That you, out, you, out, you, out, Mark, starting you. Mark Corder showed some contrition after he became president where he said, you know, yeah, we would have been good to get Grundy for a lesser term and all that. So he sort of... Yeah, but that, all those states were just echoing what the general population yeah. of supporter unrest is based on. But you... You're loosely, without any fucking conviction, addressing them for the sake of, well, we hear you, but fuck it, we're not doing anything. But do you think he would have won a lot more fans if he came out with conviction and just said, look, our predecessor messed up some stuff. We're going to try and fix it. We're sorry we're in this position. And if he came out with a little bit of... Um... I wouldn't believe it. It'd be a hell of a lot better. It, it, but he came out with a bit of passion rather than that sort of that tone of diplomacy. I mean, he, but you can't. I mean, look, you fucking, you're part of the problem, mate. You've been there 14 years. I would rather that, like, you know, I know they're not going to do it, but I would rather he just came out. I, when I said it last year, when they messed up the trade debacle, I would have rather someone just came straight and go, look, we're sorry. We, we messed it up. Um, you know, we went for this period of contention. It didn't work out. We totally messed up our figures. And they took total ownership of it. They sort of did it in a really loose way, but then they tried to massage it. And oh, we were rejuvenating the list. And you had all the different people selling different messages. Again, you know, the club has, by their own, I don't know, their, their own, like I said, their own short-sightedness. I'll use them with short-sightedness because I don't want to use terms that will get me sued. Their own short-sightedness. They have put themselves in this position where I think they're fucked for the next three years at least. Mm, absolutely, at a minimum. Anyway, that's it from us for the cheery rant. Subscribe, like, comment. Things can only um, get better, as Howard uh, Jones once sang. Yeah, hit us up on social media uh, and we'll try and get back to you. Thanks to people who are communicating with us on Twitter. Loving your tweets. It's good to actually see because you're getting a lot of people coming out and saying there's a problem with this club. Yep. And you're getting a lot of people saying, which totally endorsed, you're getting a lot of people saying, it doesn't make me less of a supporter no. to offer criticism of the club. And don't be afraid to express your opinion. Whether you're deemed to be negative, the fucking club needs to start listening. Oh, well, you look at the people on Twitter. A lot of the people on Twitter who are phrasing their displeasure, they're doing it constructively. They're doing it diplomatically. No. They're not just saying, this club is a prick or whatever. They're actually explaining the issues. It is, it is a prick, though. It is a prick. I was going to use another word, but... That's reserved for someone else called Slobbo. <laughs> anyway, uh, we'll be back next week. Because we're idiots. Yep. Right on the lens, too. That means that uh, we're going to get pumped this week. Probably means it erased all the footage. You broke my camera, though. Yeah. Later. <laughs>